The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. I hope you're all ready for recording because it's going to get better from here. <laughs> David, it seems that every week we find another airplane. This is not really an airplane. This is, um, let's see now. This is the, this is, uh, yeah. sorry, I don't folks. think a whole lot of the other ones were airplanes. For that yeah, matter. I know. Really, we've got a couple of non-airplanes tonight. Uh, this is what is calling itself the JetLev. Uh, it's so it, it looks a little bit like the James Bond rocket pack, okay? But instead of shooting, you know, like rocket, you know, either instead of burning fuel or right, expending shoots, some kind, it shoots water out of these two nozzles. All right, oh, it's, a te- it's tethered by this big hunk and hose. That's where the water comes from. To to a floating, you know, power plant. All right? Oh, I see. Uh, okay. Okay, and it's probably a high-speed water pump that shoots water up the hose and then down through the jets and gives you enough thrust action. It kind of looks fun, actually. What's, what's the other end of the hose connected to, dude? <laughs> yeah. it actually it seems to be pulling it seems to be pulling around a buoy uh, a little yeah. flotation thing that must have the motor in it that's what it says if you someplace i read that yeah so it's good I, I for one welcome our new robotic jet lev masters <laughs> no i don't think there's anything robotic about it uh this looks like kind of fun except that you're tethered you can't really go very far uh well it it, it, it kind of reminded me of uh uh and i got the video in front of me i gotta stop it here because it just tickles the hell out of me it kind of reminds me of you know i'm thinking somebody was looking at their jet ski one day going you know what would be fun if we could disconnect the seat and the handlebars no no what they were doing what i want to know is how much budweiser was involved (laughs) yeah well there's probably some of that uh (laughs) no it's like that no they were sitting in the front yard watching the garden hose and the garden hose suddenly went off and went shooting around (laughs) (laughs) hey tie it too quick tie the cat to the end of the hose (laughs) we might have something here (laughs) (laughs) so anyway that's yeah it would be interesting to see how this was uh uh i i gotta figure that buoyancy and all that stuff that it's going to come under 255 pounds total weight which would make it legally an ultralight but the fact that you can't rise any higher than the length of the hose and i'm not going to where those jokes would take me uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh see you know it, that when they regulated it all you just eliminated the next five minutes of the podcast <laughs> All right. Hey, (laughs) welcome, folks, to episode 176 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode on Tuesday, March 19th. Correction, Friday. That's right. See, I should have known. That's what thoroughly is going on here. It's Friday evening, folks, and we're taking a quick break to have a little bit of uh, hanger flying before the real festivities begin. Although I get the feeling some of the festivities have already begun. Uh, Friday, March 19th, 2010. And join them here in the virtual hangar is uh let's see one of those voices out there is dave higdon who's joining us from wichita kansas hey david how are you doing uh doing pretty well you feeling I'm better not doing any jet, not were... doing any jet skiing on the arkansas river yeah, i know you were all toughed up when we talked to you last time you feel any better well uh we, we're, we're progressing yeah uh still not back to where i'd like to be in you know in the radio voice with the clear nostrils but uh yeah it's a it it, it to to coin a phrase head and shoulders better than a couple of days ago <laughs> i yeah i hate to tell you this is this was this is the world's most persistent cold uh, we all had it and uh it kind of hangs in there longer than the average uh Cold, well, so. I, I'm going to complain. I'm supposed to be renewing my antivirus software right now, and I'm going to complain to the people at Norton that I contracted this this malaise from you guys, and the only contact we've had has been by Skype. Yeah, I'm sure Norton's going to love They're going to say, oh, yes, sir, well, we'll fix that right away. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, glad the week is over. I'm glad it's Friday. Uh-huh. Looking forward to a great weekend. It might actually, you know, be shorts and t-shirts weather here for a change. I'm not cold in my breath, but it was here. 
It was like six, well, six, yeah, mid-60s I get that. It I was get that. nuts. That's not shorts and t-shirts, though. Uh, us New Englanders, we wear shorts and we wear shorts on a day like today. Yeah, well, it was almost shorts and t-shirts here yesterday and this morning until about noon. Uh, high fifties, low sixties in the last thirty-six hours. Tomorrow, we're expecting one to three inches of snow. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Someone today yeah, told me that yeah. snow it, since, was in the forecast for the weekend. Central U.S. has some snow coming this way tonight and tomorrow. Oh, how central? I'm going to New Jersey on Sunday. That's not central. <laughs> That's New Jersey. Oh, oh central. That's not central. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was thinking Jersey? central. Uh, I'm sorry. I was thinking central eastern seaboard. Uh, uh, no no central U.S. All right. That's you remember central. remember that New Yorker cartoon that from years and years ago that that. Um, yeah, that showed the country the center of the universe. From, uh, New England, or California was there was a Golden Gate Bridge somewhere over the over the horizon. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, right. That's well, that's basically what I'm talking There's about. There's got to be a, you know, like a Manchester, New Hampshire version of that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hold on one second. Here we go. All right. And I'm Jack Hodgson talking <laughs> to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, so uh, be sure and clip that out for later use. Yeah. Right. We'll use that over and over and over again. Uh, it was gorgeous up here today, and if I, oh, it's just been a beautiful week. But I'm so crazed getting things fixed up and straightened out for a project I'm doing in a couple of days that I, I should have gone flying. I should have, should have, should have, should have gone flying. Yeah. Yeah. Famous last words. Anyways. Uh, so what's going on here in uh, the world of aviation? This just weird <laughs> stories on the list this time. It's just really odd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's see. The first one here is a story. What's this from anyways? Let's just open this link real quickly here. This is from an ABC affiliate, uh, in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, FAA investigates low flying plane in Bolivar, which of course made me think, Oh, well, this is in Bolivia. So, but apparently there's a Bolivar someplace in Texas. There's a Bolivar Texas, yeah. 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 Um, FAA is now investigating after beachgoers in Bolivar complained about a plane flying way too low in the area. There's a, a YouTube video that's included in the uh, story. I looked at it, and it shows a bunch of folks who are kind of four-wheeling down the beach in their Jeeps, and, and someone was shooting home video of the, pro- of the procession. And suddenly this l- small aircraft looked like a... I don't know what it looked like. It looked like a you know LSA of some sort. Comes motoring down really low, right over the heads of these guys, and uh, does this pass, and then climbs out and 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 flies away, and everybody's going ooh ah, and well there you go. There, I mean, this is clearly against the law. This is a, he was just like way too close to these people, and uh, uh, and 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 they got his tail number according to this article well, from then. Uh, the uh, I would uh, I would uh, local news. Yeah, uh, been been nice knowing you, dude. Yeah, really. Well, you the know, guy's going to say, you know, that uh, that official uniformed agent that delivers your mail uh, is going to deliver one that you're going to have to sign for here soon. So, yeah, uh, it's just, I mean, and, uh, and and good because that was a foolish, foolish thing to do. As the line from the movie goes, I'll I'll catch the rest on CNN. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. I mean, that was just, that was clearly joyriding low pass. I mean, it, that's what it seemed like. You can't imagine any other legitimate reason to be flying like that, right? Well, did you uh, hear an engine sound? Say you again. know, unless I... Did you, did you hear an engine sound in the video? Oh, yeah, the engine seemed to be running just fine. No good reason for it, then. Yeah. David, I'm sorry, it, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was going to say, uh, it, it, unless, you're, uh, unless you're part of a crew shooting a movie with a waiver... And a plot line that says that you got to be spraying the people on the beach so they don't turn into zombies or some crap like that. Uh, you, 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 you know better than that. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> seriously, folks, you know, in addition to the fact that it's against the law and you're going to get yourself in big trouble and probably lose your license, uh, don't do that because it gets us all in trouble. It makes well, things more difficult for, for the rest what, of us. What do you, what, why, why are you doing this at all? This is not what. Um, um, you should be doing whether it's with a, an airplane, a boat, an RV, or a machine gun. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if you wanted to do it out in some unoccupied, unoccupied stretch of beach or out, you know, a few hundred yards offshore over the water, uh, you know, and risk dipping a wheel or, or something like that, uh, by all means, we always welcome the chlorine in the gene pool. But when you put other people in harm's way, uh, somebody needs to take you down and smack you by your ailerons. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So please don't do this. Don't, don't, don't do this for so many reasons. 
There's a group. This is a story's been on our list for a little while here, but uh, um, it, it, before, before, we still away, before we go away, before yeah. we go away, real quick. <laughs> what, what, David? Well, the the beach jogger thing that oh, comes yeah. up a little later in the list. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. seems like a really good time. Poor guy is in Hilton Head, South Carolina, uh, on, on a business trip, jogging on the beach, and gets slammed from behind by uh, a, a light airplane that it had the propeller depart <laughs> and is dead sticking onto the beach yeah. uh, oil all over the glass can't see anything uh, I can't imagine anything with lower odds of ever happening period uh, but it just kind of points out to me that you're buzzing people deliberately just look what happened here accidentally what if you mm-hmm. misjudged and put contact with a propeller tip on one of those human beings down there I guarantee you wood or metal prop uh, it, they're going to be softer than the propeller blade. Yeah, it's going to do some damage. Yeah, um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But the, the, this this um, this Hilton Head thing is just such a freak thing. Yeah, yeah, Hor- uh, horrific kind of tragedy. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, can, can you imagine just jogging down the beach? You know, if there's uh, any consolation, the guy apparently just, I mean. Yeah, you know, I, I guess. I mean, he, he not only didn't see it coming, he apparently wasn't aware of it at all. It was just like. Oh, boom. never heard it. it right. Was, he had his iPod. You know, and so. Uh, and I somebody explained to me how many titles Mary freaking Schiavo had when she was in the federal government. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Why are people still even quoting her? She hasn't done anything in this industry for 10 years. Well, well Jeb, you correct me. Am I wrong? Wasn't she inspector general of DOT, not the NTSB? I think it was DOT, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they got her here as former inspector general of the National Transportation Safety Board. She and, might have. She might have worked at NTSB at one point, but I think the highest level in the federal government she rose to was IG at DOT. The media got a fact wrong. Oh my goodness! Who sh- we got to tell somebody about but this? I'm sure if you if you wikied her, she you know she'd pop up. Unfortunately, she should just go away. It was, um, if she's yeah, well, she's represented by a, a booking agent, a speaker's sure. bureau. And yeah. Sure. For you know, just, since we're talking about this, and we've mentioned her from time to time, for those not in the know, why are we so down on Mary Shabo? Well, the nickname was Scary Mary, and yeah. then I'll let Jeb pick it up from there. Why, yeah. why was that her nickname? Her nickname was Scary Mary because she never failed whenever there was an, an event involving aviation, whether it was commercial or general. She, back, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, was, was always on call. She was always the talking head for the various cable networks, and she always spread gloom and doom. Um, she was always talking about how the FAA is a tombstone agency and that uh, safety is, you know, we're all lucky to be alive, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, she was called Scary Mary on merit. Um, and every now and then she, she kind of pops up, um, um, I don't know, like bad cheese. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, you, you see a couple of quotes from her and she goes away and, and she should just stay away. Was was her – so clearly she put a, a negative spin on the whole situation. Were her facts wrong? Sometimes her facts Sometimes, are suspect. And, and, yeah. and, and, and um, whatever f- she presents, factual or non-factual, is always presented in as sensational a way as, ma- as possible. Okay. Did we ever establish what her motive was? Uh, did, was she in fact her motive trying – for what? For doing this, was she? Did she get her name in the paper? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, that's reasonable if you think that's what her motive was. I just want to know what, what you know. Was she? Was she? You know. Uh, you know, the the you know shill for some organization that was opposed to aviation, or was she nuts? You know, or or was she just? She, a, or was she a genuinely not to you know kind of make yeah. excuses for her, but was she well intentioned? But you know, if perhaps you know ill. You get the idea. I've always wanted to lean to that end, that she was well-intentioned and just misdirected uh, in, in how she delivered information because much of what she had to say had some relevance that, you know, related to the various topics and at the times that they came up. 
but the the angle and the delivery very often set the stage for people to dig in their heels and look at this as a uh, a real pushback and things that could have been maybe progressed through a more congenial approach didn't mm-hmm. okay uh but it sure sure did a great job of uh, of uh generating a lot of press clips a lot of ink and uh oh my god I got 331,000 hits. I oh, really? I mean, you Googled what? You Googled her name? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, what's the and, Wikipedia? You know, there's the booking, booking Bureau and the Speakers Bureau and the book that she did and uh, available through Amazon and for Kindle. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, all right. So uh, I find no reference here anywhere of her ever working for NTSB. Yeah. Uh, By the way, not this, saying that she didn't, but that's not what she's known for. So this Hilton Head dead stick landing, um, aircraft flying, had a uh, uh, engine failure of some sort, uh, starts to land on the beach. Um, somewhere along the line, loses a propeller. The, the, the tragedy of the guy, the runner, getting is, is a tragedy. But let's kind of put that aside for a minute here. I just want to kind of talk about the the, the propeller departed the airplane. That's a pretty significant thing. Yeah, that's definitely that's pretty much on my that's on my list of definitions of a bad day. Yeah, know? at least the whole propeller departed. The thing that always yeah. freaked me out was the idea that I might lose a blade, and then you're in big big trouble. Um, but uh, is there a Jeb? You're the NTSB report guy. Um, is yeah. there? Any, I, I haven't seen a report on this, but go ahead. I, I'm just wondering if there's any more background information on what actually happened here that led to the. You know, for example, I wondered whether or not the. What, you what, know, when you hear about oil on the windshield, the first thing yeah. you think is okay. There's some sort of some sort of dramatic so, oil leak sound, on the engine. Sounds like an oil. Yeah, sounds like an oil line let go, maybe between the the engine and the oil cooler. But then, yeah. but the fact that the prop departed makes me wonder if maybe it, it, I, I would imagine that these variable pitch props are hydraulically, which is to say, oil pressure driven. I'm wondering yeah, if, if it used to be system, electrics, but they're all hydraulic. So much I'm wondering there. if that system let go, and that's where the oil came from that well, led it, to the. Could prop. have been. It could have been something sudden and catastrophic that that snapped the prop drive shaft. Uh, in in the shaft and the okay. uh, propeller part of the airplane, I don't know. Yeah, I I'm guessing that it did in fact have something to do um, with oil to the propeller. Right, and that um, by whether by leak, uh, possibly a leak, a seal might have blown out in the propeller or something like that, and it kind of seized up or or whatever and departed the airplane. Uh, and the broken oil line and, and whatnot created all the oil on the on the windshield. One of the things I don't know out of this is which occurred first. Right. Did the oil appear on the windshield first and then the prop depart the airplane or vice versa? Yeah. One of the that stories that I read put the sequence that way. They started to have engine problems. They started to see some oil. Then the prop went away. Yeah. And yeah. once that happened, and hydraulically uh, managed variable pitch propellers, constant speed propellers. Uh, somewhere there, there's an oil feed from the engine. Now, it can be an external line that runs from the governor. Uh, it can be something internal that runs from the governor. Uh, but it, wherever it comes from, where that propeller bolts to the crankshaft of the airplane, there's an oil supply there that helps control the blades. If the flange breaks, if the hub departs, there's nothing out there to constrain that oil anymore. Right. That's one big honking oil leak yeah. from then on. Um, this was a, according to the report, this was a Lancer 4P. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. I thought I saw in one of these stories, I'm trying to skim this story right now, that this was a, there, there's a turbine, a turboprop Lancer, isn't there? Is that what this is? Um, there was a turbo. They were developing a turboprop. I think Experimental Lancer uh, several years ago was developing a turboprop. But this is probably uh, a four P kit that was just converted to mount a turboprop, and it was probably a Walter turboprop engine. I see. Okay. If, if, it was, if it was a turboprop, I don't know that it was. I don't know that it wasn't. The uh, the the picture that I've seen with a couple of articles. Well, there have been a number of pictures, some of it showing the airplane in uh, in uh, wing-deep water. 
but the cowling yeah. of the photographs I've seen don't uh, don't reflect a turbine engine. Yeah, uh, the, the one I'm looking at likewise does not. I'm just trying yeah, to find. Uh, there are four P's out there flying on uh, flying on uh, 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 small turboprop engines. Uh, some of them on uh, little Rolls Royces. Uh, some uh-huh. of them on. I'm not sure about the Walters, but the kit that the company is developing. Uh, I believe runs on a Pratt and Whitney Canada PT6, hmm. uh, but again, this is and that's a that's a totally different airplane than a four plane. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but paragraph, this is, looks like it's got a piston. Paragraph down low in this story from Yahoo News, which probably means it's an AP story, um, says uh, I had it a second ago. Where to go? Here it is. The airplane model that killed Jones had a turbine engine and can fly up to 370 miles an hour. According to the Lancer website, the, quote, fast bill kit, end quote, of the 4P model, which has a pressurized cabin, is listed at costing $129,000 and is fully FAA approved, the site It's 50-50 to me whether the reporter was told turbo yeah. and wrote down turbine. Yeah, right. I know. Or not. Okay. I don't put much faith in that one article. I'll wait and see what the NTSB has to say. Well, again, I'm looking at the photograph with the cowling like you and Jack have been, and that's not a turboprop cowl. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't doesn't have the exhaust stacks, and whether it was a Walter or a PT-6 or a Rolls. uh, Also, those airplanes have much longer cowlings because the turboprop engines tend to weigh a lot less. Right. Right. Than the piston engine. So I'm betting that this is the good old TSI 0550 Continental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is most popular with the builders. That's twin turbochargers, uh, 350 horsepower. Uh, and that 350 miles an hour at altitude, that's not far off. That's right in the ballpark. For 350 a miles an hour, yeah, that's about 300 knots. And that's yeah. <clears throat> about what a 4P will do at full chad if you don't care about your fuel burn. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't yeah, do very to, well without a propeller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, right. it, it's not going to do doodly without a propeller. And, and uh, right. again, it's such such a tragedy. Um, um, you know, really feel for the the, uh, um, the, the fatalities uh, families. Um, but um, I'm not even sure if there's a lesson in here anywhere except there maybe isn't. don't I, you know, jog with the iPod. Yeah, he was listening to his iPod jogging down the beach, and, and you know, most of us would give a major body part to be able to do that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets hit by a, a silent gliding airplane yeah. that the pilot, the pilots of which could not see him. You know, the whole thing is just a very, very big tragedy. Right. And yeah. yeah. I'm sure it'll be something we talk about some more, but, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if we were to pin her down, uh, Miss, Miss Schiavo would tell us how that could be fixed in the future. But, yeah. Okay. Well, and <laughs> I, I guess the other thing here too, talking about scary Mary and, and why we think comments from her might be inappropriate. Um, she didn't. She didn't have anything to add. She has no knowledge about four Ps. She has no knowledge about turbo uh, versus turbine. She did, she adds nothing to the conversation. Yeah. And and I'll shut up. She's a good quote. Um. So if you I think, would, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even call it a good quote, but well, they obviously like her. The the media do. The mainstream media. All right. Here we go. Um. Oh, so, we we haven't started yet. No. no. I'm drinking. (laughs) Moving on. Um, So if you hang out in aviation long enough, you come across numerous um, restoration projects, Uh, uh, folks, groups of people that get together to try and uh, bring back some beloved aircraft and get it back into airworthy condition. But this is taking it to an extreme. This is a group called the Save Concord Group. And uh, they have declared that they are trying to raise enough money to actually restore to flight condition a... uh, a, uh, former British Airways Concorde uh, supersonic transport. Um, God bless them. Go for it. I'm, yeah, little, I'm a little dubious. Out. I'm a little dubious of whether they're going to pull this off, but uh, wow. Well, if, if they can pull it off, if they can pull it off, that airplane could be self-supporting. Yeah. I mean, really seriously. Uh, British Airways in particular, and Air France to a lesser extent, uh, did really brisk business Flying charters mm-hmm. with their with their concords that weren't involved in some kind of scheduled route, yeah, and the way they rotated them, they always had three or four between the two carriers available for charter. The ones that the concords that came to Oshkosh, sure, were right. charters. Uh, one came to uh, here to Wichita uh, a number of years ago on charter. 
picked up a load of people, took them to Europe. Uh, oh, so you're talking real charters, like going someplace charters. I'm yeah. talking about real charters, yeah. Oh, I thought you were like the Oshkosh things. It was a flight to nowhere where you go out and enjoy right No, 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 no. That, that, that airplane came in with paying passengers and left with paying passengers. Yeah, you're right. And the that. area flights that they did uh, for you know considerable bucks per seat uh, were uh, basically fundraisers, but they could have gotten people to pay the real freight for operating that airplane on those trips uh, and, and did for years and years. And the joke used to be, and it's a shame that uh, they couldn't have had more of these, but they couldn't have afforded to build them. They were already losing money on building them. Uh, once they wrote that off, then they were profitable airplanes. The charters were really big business for BA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they could get this puppy airworthy, uh, you know, more power to them, and it's one of the early ones. What BOAF, right? Bravo, Oscar Alpha, Foxtrot. There's some interesting language on this uh, on this homepage. This is SaveConcord.co.uk. Uh, uh, is that what you're seeing? I'm seeing Save-Concord. Save-Concord. Sorry. Yeah, Save-Concord.co.uk. Um, so uh, they're they're going to try and do this thing. They have a goal of having it ready to go in time for the London Olympics, which is 2012. Um, but then the next paragraph is interesting. It says, and this is right up front on the on the homepage. It says the main obstacle preventing this return to flight is British Airways. They continue to hide behind statements that they refuse to back up in terms of cost and accountability. Uh, they don't want they don't want the liability for it. That's yeah. why they retired the airplane. Yeah. Um, someone's going to have to bite the bullet. And what? And step up and assume the liability for the operations. Um, whether they do it in a foundation or, or whatever, um, I don't know. I don't know how to shield a BA or anybody else from that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure either. You but know. they retired the airplanes for a reason. Um, it wasn't all economics. No, um, and in this, in this case, there were some issues of uh, fixes that were going to have to be done. Right. Right. To prevent a repeat of the Air France crash, which interestingly enough was caused by runway debris or an object damage, not an inherent flaw in the airplane. Right, right. I'll tell you, it it was, and I know you guys saw it as well. It was one of the most impressive aircrafts I've ever seen operate. Yeah. I mean, uh, man, it was impressive. Um, it was impressive to watch and to listen to. It was loud on takeoff. It was. It was. Oh man, it make the ground shake. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very impressive, and uh, and watching them come, watching one come down through the clouds on an ILS at about eight hundred overcast. Yeah. Oh man! Wow. Really? Yeah. Really? I've told this story before, but the uh, uh, one of my most notable Concord memories was uh, was from Oshkosh when they were doing these joyrides, and they they'd take you know load the airplane up and go off for an hour or so and come back, and they do this I don't know two, three, four times in a day. And so one afternoon um, after the air show, but before the airport had closed, they had gone out a while, you know, like probably took off right after the air show. And uh, and now we've got all these arrivals coming into Oshkosh, and they're all like, you know, landing. And there's just a lot of arrivals, and they were mostly landing from the north, um, coming down the, the, the uh, final towards uh, 1-8. And I was standing there just kind of watching them on, on final, and you could see there must have been, you know, I mean, it was a busy night. There was 8 or 10 or 12 aircraft out on, on extended final. And they're all kind of chugging, tr- tr- you know, chugging down, doing their thing, and everything was very orderly. And... And I'm sort of waiting around for the Concorde to return, all right? And all of a sudden, on the frequency, we hear the, a radio call that says, uh, you know, the Concorde calling in 10 miles to the north, all right? And I swear, just standing there on the field, I could sense every pilot in every one of those 12 airplanes on final kind of looking around and going, oh, crap. <laughs> and about five seconds later, the controller comes on very calmly, all right, all right, but but clearly with some urgency said, you know, said, all the aircraft on final, I want you to turn left, go out over the lake and hold, all right? And these airplanes scattered, all right? I mean, it was like, you know, like B, you know, just like suddenly this orderly line was just like, zoom, you know, because everyone doesn't want this Concorde to fly down their butt. And, uh, and so they all took off out over the lake and, you know, Everybody's like keeping an eye on everybody else, and the Concorde came down final and landed, and then it took I don't know how long for the controllers to get all these airplanes back in in a line again. But uh, I just, what's, uh, what's really fascinating is 
the, the it, it's a little bit like a TARDIS in reverse. Mm-hmm. You know, Doctor Who's British police call box, uh, TARDIS, time machine, spaceship, uh, tiny outside, huge inside. Concord has this deceptive characteristic and looks huge from the outside. And then you duck to go in the the uh, cabin door to to take a seat and look down the aisle, and it is like it's two by two seating, single aisle, uh, and a seven thirty seven and a DC nine are monsters by comparison in terms yeah. of cabin space. Yeah. Really comfy seats, though. <laughs> I never got inside one. Did you actually go up in the air in it, Dave, or did you just get to tour it? I got to fly uh, from uh, from London to uh, uh, Washington, uh, Dallas. On one. <laughs> oh, well, it's so nice of you and, to uh, associate uh, with yeah, us. Yeah, the uh, the uh, luck of the draw was that I was supposed to be sitting in the second row, left side, uh, and because of uh, employment connection and a, and a friend at BA. Uh, was uh, invited up to the jump seat just before we pushed. Oh, Jesus. And that's where I spent the flight. Oh, oh man. Oh, I don't like you anymore. Yeah, really. That's just like, that's just... I was really glad when, when the flight was over that it wasn't much longer because the bloody jump seat was not at all comfortable. Oh, yeah, boo-hoo. But, this is my little uh, fingers yeah. making a little violin uh-huh, right here, uh-huh. all right? The, 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 uh, I, the food I'm service only was excellent. One- the view was great. Jack, I'm only using one finger. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Moving on here. So um, here's another YouTube video. Gosh, we do this all the time. I'm, but it's there's. This is a 757 bird strike. Um, somebody actually caught this thing on video. Uh, and uh, if you look closely, they've got a little annotation. You can actually actually have a little arrow that points what they believe was the bird. And uh, and you see a big poof of fire, and then the as the thing is the 757 is climbing out, you see fire coming out of the. This is the right hand engine, and uh, it, you know. So the video is what the video is. The thing I found particularly interesting about that this was listening to the procedures involved and listening to the conversation between the controllers and the uh, the pilots of this thing. Um, very very calm, very professional, very you know orderly. I, it just it was pretty interesting to me. I. Uh, did you uh, did you get I've seen to look at I've seen the video before it's not new I've I've seen the video um yeah I mean they did everything right yeah yeah Anything, um I, I don't know why it, it it why I take note at this all right but it it always strikes me that the so we saw this bird get ingested we saw the flame coming out and not and we're not talking like wild you know constant fire just like poofs of flame um periodically and uh as the thing is climbing out and within Two or three seconds, the pilots went mayday. They said mayday, mayday, mayday. They did not kid around. They did not wait. They, you know, I think there's almost a little lesson there. You know that, uh, you know, don't be timid, don't hesitate. Right. You know, um, but uh, you know they called their mayday, and from watching it from this video, the aircraft was never not in control. You know, and uh, um, even though it was climbing on basically one engine, I guess you know, but uh, um, it, it, oh yeah, it, it it took that damage right at. Uh, Right at rotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, they, they, their, their, their vertical speed indicator was just starting to register positive rate of climb. And in the video, if you folks decide to look at it, it is like four seconds into the start of the video. Yeah. 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 When you see the item, whatever it is, get ingested. And at about 29 seconds into the video, when it stops poofing, Yellow flame, poof, 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 right. out of the tailpipe, and at, at that point, I figure is when they secured the engine. That was my guess too. They got the shutdown checklist done. Jeb, stop laughing. I know. I know. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Okay. The, the sound effects are just humorous. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of a of a, of a uh, Chevy Vega that missing on two cylinders, but. Yeah, right. Two of the four. Last uh, in the last episode, maybe we should make a collection. Like this could be a CD. This could be a greatest hit CD of of Dave's sound effects. Like on the last episode, short CD. Yeah, on the left, but but really significant. On the last one, I I made a notice. I almost because I I jot down these things in 
to try find titles for the episodes. Maybe and, make a ringtone out of it. And oh yeah, oh, you could absolutely do that. Um, uh, Dave described the sound of a particular engine um, as it operated of being booga booga. He did that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that episode. Yeah, yeah, and I've never heard that engine either. But uh, anyways, um, booga booga or boogity 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 boogity. Okay, that's yeah. All right. Um, I guess this is off field landing of the week. Here we've got uh, a story from. Well, we got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. Um, but this is the one that is is uh, is in the in the uh, in keeping with the the philosophy, the tradition, the tradition, the philosophy behind off field landing of the week. The Tulsa World website, uh, presumably Tulsa, Oklahoma. That and, would be the Tulsa. And uh, headline is: Plane makes emergency landing in. Arkansas River, or as they say, the Arkansas River. Um, only in my neighborhood. Only in your neighborhood. A small plane made an emergency landing in the Arkansas River on Saturday afternoon near the 71st Street Bridge. Pilot and passenger were not injured when their single-engine Cessna Turbo 10, I'll come back to that, lost power and came down in the river before it could land at Jones Riverside Airport Authority. There's so, that turbine thing again. Yeah. So that's my question. Um, what airplane is this really? It's a Centurion. It's a Turbo yeah. 210. 210. Oh, that's what's going on here. Yeah, the story says just Turbo 10. Um, it's had something done to it beyond the usual, though, because it's got a cooling inlet in the upper right yeah, side. I noticed that. That, I, that I'm yeah. not familiar with. Yeah, I'm not think sure. It is? It, maybe that's one of them turbine uh, centurions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm betting that it's an aftermarket uh, intercooler. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the top half, it's a pretty sexy-looking airplane. I like it. Um I've always liked it's, it's 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 pretty close to what Amy used to fly. Uh huh. Um, which one? The one, oh, the one that, that she they splashed. had. Just re- the one the Centurion. Yeah, the one they had the one just recently. Yeah. Oh, the one the she one ditched. That she splashed. The one she yeah. ditched. Well, maybe I don't know who was the pilot on this one. Let's see here. Uh, no, I don't think it was. Uh, <laughs> two men. Oh, two men were pay for that. Two men were standing on the standby. Okay. Um, you're going to pay for that. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a cool airplane. Uh, I, I like. I think. I think three blade props look sexy. Is it just me? Do you? I think. I think that's kind of cool. Three. Oh uh, no no no! We're we're big believers. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying oh, to remember yeah. the show. Two for the go. Say it again. Three for the show. Three for the show. Two for the, two for the go. So what three is that? Are you, are you saying look better. Three blade props look better, but I don't perform as well as an equivalent two blade prop. Well, that used to be across the board true. Uh, it is no longer across the board true. Uh, they don't really, the, the, the newer, more efficient three blades don't cost you any speed. Uh, you know, the best of them claims that they can give you a, a knot or two. Uh, the big benefits are generally quieter because they're smaller diameter. Uh, in a lot of installations, they're a boatload smoother. Uh, in your uh, in a lot of installations, your takeoff acceleration and your climb rate uh, improve uh, noticeably with the, the transition from a an old two blade to a good three blade. No. So yeah. No, I was going to say. So, so explain this. Explain a little bit more of this to me. I, I understand the part about them being quieter, as I understand. As I understand it, it's be- the the, bla- the blades are shorter as a result. The tip speed is lower, so you get less of that uh, supersonic noise. Is that a fair? That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it on the money. So okay, um, why wouldn't a three blade prop be better overall? What what makes it less dirty? Um, yeah, well, I'm not sure exactly what makes it worse than a two blade. The two blade is is basically more efficient. Uh, but I don't actually. Know the most efficient prop is a one blade. That's right. And, and before you, you, that, you before you, you write this off, yeah. I've got friends that were test pilots and programs that had one blade props on the airplane. Uh, sure. How do you do yeah. that? Where they put some sort of put short a, counterweight on the a, other end? Put a yeah. counterweight on the other side. Yeah. yeah, that's bizarre. That that would be. I want to see one of those. That would be kind they, of they, cool. They, they, well, they, it, 
this is stuff that was done decades ago. Jack, it, you remember they the could demonstrate some real performance advantages of it, but they couldn't get people to buy into the idea. Uh-huh. Jack, yeah, remember remember back when you were eight years old, uh, you got that toy helicopter for Christmas. Yeah, and the day after Christmas, you'd broken off one of the main rotors. The That's day after, what it looks I, you, like you went that long, huh? Um, I just think that would be kind of weird to see a one blade. I suppose once it's spinning, you wouldn't even be able to see it. But still, yeah. that's kind of an odd thing. All right. David, you said dirty air. Actually, that makes sense. So every blade leaves uh, turbulence behind it, and that turbulence is fouling the tr- the blade that's following, right? Well, that, that was the problem in a lot of the old designs that's been mitigated in, in many of the newer designs. And if you look at some turboprop combat and, and civilian aircraft, you'll see them with three, four, five, and seven-blade props. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So what, do they just do some fancy fluid dynamic computer design and figure out how to get rid of the turbulence? That Well, they, they figured out how to capture the energy. Huh. And it all has to do with blade capture shape, compound curves. We, we yeah. have a title for this episode. Because if you look okay. at the inlet on a modern tr- turbofan jet engine, what you're looking at is is really a big multi-blade prop whose main job is to feed air to the bypass system and air to the combustion cycle side right. of the of the engine. Uh, the, uh, the the fact that very much work goes into calculating the blade angles, depth, sweep, and and number to make that fan as effective as it can be. Uh, inspired some prop makers to say, you know, there's no reason why our three and four blade props have to be slower. We got to be doing something wrong for those numbers of blades. And they went into wind tunnels and with computer programs and came up with designs that may actually get you a couple of knots, will help your climb speed. On these multi blade turboprop engines, uh, they couldn't. They couldn't capture as thrust the amount of horsepower the engines develop. That's right. Uh, without going to either obscenely large diameters and very thick blades, which generates a whole lot of problems on its own, mm-hmm. or coming up with these extremely compound curved blades and putting seven of them on a hub. And they're able to do that uh-huh. and not suffer speed-wise with them. Uh, matter of fact, some of them are a little faster. So That's very interesting. But the sexy part, you know, and the quieter part, yeah. and in so many installations, the smoother part. Even I used to hear that, well, smoother really only works on six-cylinder engines. Uh, well, that turned out to be so much of another old wives' tale. Right. Right. Because we put a three-blade on a four-cylinder engine, and a couple of the instruments that had this little dance before were rock-solid afterward. Hmm. Interesting. Well, congratulations to these uh, two Tulsa, Oklahoma guys uh, for uh, for uh, successfully getting it down on the ground safely, or down on the uh, water safely. Apparently, it's on the ground. Apparently, it's on a sandbar. That's why it's not... Well, I've been wondering, looking at this photograph, is it on its gear or uh, is it on its belly? I, I don't know for sure, but there's reference in the story. It's a very, very short story, but uh, it talks about the, the two guys on board were actually found standing on a sandbar. They had to wait for about 30 minutes for uh, a boat to come and get them. And I speculate that this airplane, because this airplane is way too high in the water to be floating. No, no, it's sitting on a sandbar. Right. Yeah. And so, so they actually managed to land on the sandbar, which is very clever of them. Um, so, uh, yeah, at least anyways. they might get the radios out. That's yeah. about it. So, congratulations to these two guys for uh, safely getting the aircraft down and uh, and uh, safe. Yeah, it doesn't look look like there's deep enough water there to even get it in the cabin. Yeah, yeah, yeah which it, it looks like thing. they did a great job. Now, I, whether they plan to land on the sandbar or not, I don't know. Yeah, but they did a great job. Right. No question. Okay. Yeah, how much are drinks at the sandbar? <laughs> so here we um, have a story. Yeah. Um, ladies' night, they're free. Here we have a story. This is uh, Davis called our attention to the uh, new hot uh, video game, I guess, right? This is the, uh, he, you described it as the CWSU National METAR map, all right? Uh, it's, uh, it's this interactive web page that shows, the, I guess it's the, uh, it's the, um, 
it's a visual representation of all the METAR, all the weather observations from sites across the country. And uh, you got little blue dots and red dots and green dots, which I would imagine relate to VFR and IFR and marginal VFR and so forth. And, um, what happens when you actually click on one of these? Let's see here. Well, you don't have to click. Uh, you don't even have to over. click. You, you just roll click. the cursor right over it. But if you click, it actually opens another window with even more detailed information about yes, that Yes, it's true. And, like I just rolled over... Uh, Kilo, India, Charlie Tango, Wichita, Midcontinent. A little that it didn't click. Little box with a blue header comes up, says K I C T, elevation thirteen thirty-two feet. Wichita with Wichita Midcontinent, temperature forty degrees Fahrenheit, dew point thirty-three, relative humidity seventy-six percent, wind ten at twenty-four knots, <laughs> gust at thirty-six. <laughs> Visibility you, eight man. miles, overcast nineteen hundred, altimeter twenty nine ninety two. So we are right on the money. Check. Wind chill is thirty degrees Fahrenheit already. Check this out here. Uh, uh, Nashua's Barfield Airport, Nashua, New Hampshire. Temperature sixty six degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> it was a beautiful day here in New England. <laughs> temperature in Sarasota right now? Yeah. Okay. Sixty three. Oh, really? Awesome. I, I'm not kidding you, man. I'm telling you, it's been fucking cold down here. <laughs> anyway, it's funny. It was about 63 here yesterday. Yeah. So this kind Ooh, of, McConnell is at 37. Wow. This is kind of a fun resource. And uh, <sighs> if you want to kind of explore, so you, you, know, you, you could use this kind of to uh, check your route of flight, you know, kind of checking out all these different, uh, different. Well, that was one of the reasons I put it in there. I figure if that's a link that'd be handy to a lot of people. You know, you just put it up there in your toolbar. You open it up while you're look, doing a little flight planning, and without spending time looking up a bunch of stuff, you just mouse over the points along your route, and the little plus signs are all VFR places. So, you know, it's clear weather. Toolbar also yeah. that uh, you can use to isolate specific um, air traffic control center. And as and far as the color and, coding, yeah. and look, oh yeah, this is good stuff. There's a there's a little chart at the bottom explained you know a, 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 a what do you call it uh, exp, explains what the symbols mean. Yep. Uh, legend. A little plus signs. Thank, Thank you. you. Legend. Thank you, Jeb. Uh, uh, plus signs are VFR or no uh, no report. Green or VFR and three thousand feet or higher ceiling. Uh, blue marginal VFR a thousand to three thousand. Red. 500 to under 1,000 overcast in IFR, uh, in LIFR, uh, under 500 foot overcast. I guess that means lousy IFR. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've low, seen low, low IFR. Low is what I've heard, yeah, right. Low IFR. Oh, okay. Well, low, low lousy, they go together. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So. But the nice thing is this is updated automatically uh, when all these stations update. So anytime you open it up, it's not like, wow, I need to wait another 50 minutes for the next update. Whatever's current is, is, is already in there. It's a cool little site. A buddy of mine from 800 Independence turned me on to it. Yeah, yeah. Look at this. It's warmer here than it is in Sarasota. I love it. I'm telling you, man. Although you got to get over that, man, because we're <laughs> headed that way. So we don't want to hear that I'm not the I'm not the one who has to get over it, but... What you say, Nashua? Is that boring that field? Boire field or something like that? Boire field? Yeah, we don't Boire. say boire. We just say Nashua Airport. But uh, um, <laughs> 66 It's too hard. It's easier to say Nashua. 66. Yeah. Yeah, really. I'm not, I haven't been kidding you, man. Yeah. So, anyways, cool, cool site. Um, I, you know, I'd give you the URL, folks, but it's kind of one of those. Um, it's it's from it's part of NOAA, NOAA.gov. Um, if you, probably if you Google CWSU National Map, um, you might get close. And of course, we'll, 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 we'll have the link in the show notes. We will, right? of course, have the link in the show notes. Yeah. So uh, this is one to save, kitties, yeah. because uh, you can use this again and again. Yeah. Or when that friend calls you up and say, "Well, man, I can't make it in because the weather," you know, uh, well, the weather. And you, you know, wow, it just updated itself. Uh, and then you mouse over on the website and go, get the frack out. It's clear in CAVU there. What do you mean, the weather? It is an interesting visual representation, you know, because it's not, the, you know, usually you see the radar, you know, but here you're just seeing, you know, a, a, a color-coded representation of the yeah. uh, of the sky conditions. And you can see that there's something happening through the middle of the country, you know. You yeah. Can, yeah. Um, and, uh and it's heading right for it's actually over, David. Right about now, it's any minute now. It's going to be over, David. 
So okay. Yeah, it seemed like it would be a fun one to keep around. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Uh, stupid pilot tricks. Uh, More? What's that? Oh, never mind. Stupid pilot tricks here. This is from. Uh, this is a story from uh, the, I don't know if it's the latest issue, but a recent issue of Callback of uh, NASA's Aviation hmm. Safety Reporting Systems uh, newsletter. Um, where they summarize uh, the uh, the uh, I- the you know occurrences um, the 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 most notable occurrences that get turned in as ASRS reports, and uh, I think it was Dave called our attention or somebody called our attention to uh, one in particular here. Um, the uh, ASRS folks have headlined it runway roulette, and uh, I won't read the whole story, but it basically involves a, a, a non-tower airport. Where uh, somebody taxied into position uh, on the uh, the what apparently is the preferred no wind runway, and did his checks and added power. And as he was accelerating, he saw another aircraft taxi into position at the other end of the runway. And uh, the guy called on the run on the uh, on the radio. The other end guy did not respond. So our guy um, aborted the takeoff, uh, reduced power, braked, uh, managed to uh, to uh, exit the. Uh, runway at a taxiway just or you know and then soon thereafter this guy at the far end who was doing his takeoff normally you know took took off swooping by this guy and uh scary situation i don't know jeb you seem to have something you wanted to say about yeah i just um the the guy who reported this you know first of all thanks for reporting this but absolutely dude um um you need you need to uh, apparently uh, the way I read this, you know, he, he kind of knew there was another airplane at the other end of the one runway. Maybe maybe I'm reading it wrong, um, but well, he heard uh, a transmission that an airplane intended to enter runway 13 for departure mm-hmm. while he was readying from three one. Well, okay, so you're, well, you're right on the game. Yeah, now this is what we call a non-tower airport. He's correctly labeled it. Um, in which, you know, there is no active runway. We can make recommendations all day long, but there's no rule that says we have to use a specific runway. We can land downwind if we want to, take off downwind if we want to. Um, the runway choice is totally up to the pilot. He accepts the responsibility for the choice. Uh, but the, 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 the guy reporting also has to accept some responsibility for not, you know, slowing down and stopping what he was doing and trying to figure out what the other guy was doing since it was obvious that he was on the other end of the runway. Well, okay. Yeah. But, but it, I, it, I don't read Dude, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I, mean, but I, I don't read it this way because the way the reporter uh, uh, describes it um, is that uh, he was doing his normal routine and he actually started to take off. He added power and was, was accelerating. And only then did he realize hmm. that another airplane was taxiing onto the runway. Um, and... Maybe it's fair to criticize him for not immediately aborting the takeoff, all right? Because he described that he tried he tried to call to the guy on the radio first, all right? But but when he was but he did pretty quickly, at least according to his own description of his actions. I you know, um, he 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 aborted the the takeoff, you know. But he's clearly in a little a little bit of a you know uh, frothing well, in the mouth here about this other guy. And uh, there's there's no question there that he was the first one out there by this description. And he'd made the call. Uh, but the incident, I, this happened to us at Augusta, Kansas, many years ago, uh, where a guy landed, reported he was clear of the runway. We reported we were taking the runway he had just landed on and departing. When he immediately. When we unkeyed, we heard him finish announcing that he was taking off on the reciprocal. In other words, he just turned around and was coming back out the opposite direction. Really? We'd keyed on top of one another. Uh-huh. Now, why he didn't notice me sitting at the end of the runway waiting to take off when he was landing, I never knew. But when he called, he was clear of the runway, and then I heard the, the transmission go pop, I keyed the mic to say we were departing. Well, he immediately keyed the mic at the same time. Right after he said he was turning, he was turned off and clear. He turned around and keyed the mic and said he was coming back out. Uh, we stopped, turned off into the grass before we got to where we could even see the guy. 
And sure enough, off he went sailing into Wild Blue Yonder over the top of us. Uh, after that, and, and one other where we overheard a guy, he did a startup, warm-up, taxi to the runway, run-up, and then turned his radios on and started talking. <laughs> when he turned his radios on and started talking, he did so in a manner that revealed that he didn't know whether anybody else was in the airspace. Uh, he didn't wait. And there had actually been several people call that they were, you know, on final, turning base, and yada, yada. And he pulled out in front of a guy uh, that he should have seen. But at that point, it, it dawned on me, you know, you can't count on the other guy doing the right thing or realizing it in, in time. And there's this chance that there's going to be some numb nut taxi down to the end of the runway and not turn his radios on until he's ready to go. I met the guy later on. You know why he didn't do He didn't turn the radios on until he was ready to go because hearing other people in the pattern distracted him from his checklist. (laughs) 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 And, 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 you know, what do you say to that? Did you put him in the hospital? No, but I suggested he might want to sit and wait a minute or two and listen and do one more 360-degree turn, and he looked at me, and he goes, why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, I didn't have to put him in the hospital. The guy that he pulled out in front of uh, was more than happy to uh, enlighten him further when they both showed up on the ramp together uh, yeah. again later the same day. But I don't know. It seems to me. Call back 362. It's worth a read. It's worth a think about. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me that the you know what is it the, is it motorcycle people and bicycle people say um, assume that you're invisible As, you know do, absolutely do, do not assume that anybody sees you all right um, and maybe that's just you know one of the ways that you try and keep yourself out of trouble this way that person that you think is making eye contact with you they're really looking at the drive-in menu in the restaurant they're about to pull into they don't even <laughs> see you yeah. You're not talking about an airplane. I'm thinking drive-in menu, airplane. I know you're talking about motorcycle and bicycle. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, callback uh, 362. Uh, every callback is a great thing to uh, check out. Yeah. It gives you lots of uh, of tips and, and food for thought and uh, and so forth. Well, you want to keep one of those ASRS forms in your logbook, too. Oh, because, yeah. Because uh, you never know when the day might come that uh, you, through... You know, absolute innocence, uh, create that near foo bar that could turn into a letter. And uh, there's some good get-out-of-jail-free potential in having that ASRS form to fill out and have timestamp dated and sent off to the folks at Callback. Yeah, yeah I, got, I got about a three-inch high stack right here. I go through them quite a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. We're not going there. Um, so I've always believed. I've always had to believe, believe that you had to be a little crazy to do parachuting. All right. And here's here's a video that just demonstrates at least one particular guy is a little crazy as a skydiver. Um, th- this is. Um, I don't think that's a parachute. Uh huh. Is, is that a is that a jump shoot? Well, I'm not sure if no, I understand. No, that's not a jump shoot. I'm not sure if I understand the exact distinction, but it's one of these steerable, you know, Rogallo wingish kind of things, right? I mean, it's not a Rogallo wing, I'm sorry, but you you get my point. It's one of it's the kind of It's it's a paraglider. It's not a it's not a jump and parachute, son. I don't believe that's a jump and parachute. Uh, that's a stunt parachute for sure. Well, I don't care, all right? What the guy did, I don't care if he did it. So here's what he did. He's, he's, he's coming down in this parachute, and 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 what he basically does is he gets in, kind of does this really fast spiral to kind of get a lot of energy in, in you know, his yeah. body, I guess, all right? And then suddenly converts that energy into, from, a, from a sort of horizontal spiral to a vertical, not exactly a loop, but kind of a swinging over the top. I mean, it's just nuts to see him do this. It's just that, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching this. That's nuts. Yeah. And Whoa. I'm, I'm, yeah. And, and he does it repeatedly. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these. Oh, he did 20 loops. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I just got to figure I, I'm impressed that the material could handle the stresses involved on that, you know, because that's just like not nothing to, to be spinning around like that. And, uh, I don't know, David, you're the former parachuter. Well, I've jumped and I've flown hang gliders, and I've been around where paragliders fly. And looking at the shape of this canopy, 
uses same ram air technology and, and soft airfoil, you know, that's common to the square parachute skydivers use. But th- I don't believe this is a jumping parachute. I believe this is a paraglider, and he may even have a motor pack on his back. Oh, if he's uh, carrying even more weight, then he's even crazier than I thought. Well, there's there's something more there, but... Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there is something more there, isn't there? But now let's, let's, let's distill this load thing down. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to blue sky some numbers here. But let's say that that canopy has 200 square feet of lifting area. And the guy weighs 200 pounds. I, I, I was told I, there would be no math. Oh. <laughs> it's Friday night, David. Come we're, on. We're going to make it easy. 200 okay. pound guy, 200 square feet. That's one pound per square foot of load. Yeah. That's nothing. No, well, that's when you're in stable kind of no stress situation. This guy's like well, sure. whipping okay. it around so a whole bunch of centrifugal you make it force. Three G's, you make it to three G's of a, or, or four G's even of a loop. Uh, wow, you're up to four pounds per square yeah, foot. Yeah, but I bet he was pulling more than three G's. That, the, those are Not pretty dramatic loops. Loop. What's that? I don't think you can pull more than three, four G's on a loop. Uh, I don't care what you're, well, maybe flying a F-22 or an F-35 or an F-16, you can do a loop that's more than four Gs, but then you're using a lot of horsepower. This guy's using gravity. All right, somewhere among our listeners, there's a mathematician and or physicist who can tell us how the how the physics of this work. Uh, my, my, my bottom line is, it is the, the load on that great big uh, piece of, uh, of, of lifting foil is really pretty small. And remember, it's divided up with dozens and dozens of lines, each of which have several hundred pounds of braking strength on their own. Uh, this is no load. Uh, okay. I'm not buying no load, but maybe it's within the parameters that the thing can take. The the, the timing and the skill it takes to get that puppy started. The uh, insanity, the craziness. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That's a whole other. The aerodynamics and the physics of it are one thing. Um, thinking that up is is quite another. Yeah, we had last last week we had that guy with the uh, helicopter hang glider who was vodka enabled. All right, I mean it's like <laughs> <laughs> well, we had the we had the um, the Aust- the New Zealand uh, hover plane thing. Also vodka. En- no, see we should. Yeah, but and, we, we got to give it get on the back that didn't know what she was doing. Yeah, you got to give it this though. This guy is head over heels in his flying. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Moving way, right along. I joke. I don't think any of these people were vodka enabled. It was just a joke. They should, they, they, no one flies drunk. <laughs> no one in mine. Right. No one flies a real airplane drunk. Yeah. Shout outs. What do you got? I don't know. <laughs> you guys, we shouldn't do this on Friday night. I don't should, know. It's just... would, 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 does that engine ever start? <laughs> yeah, right. Not before noon. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. At least not not not. Not not under protest. Uh, That's right. So uh, not without you know photographic evidence. You're never yeah right. You're never going to make it to the Sebring breakfast. That's for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> David, you got I'm any shout-outs? Uh, I do not have any specific shout-outs this I week. I want to uh, just make one one uh, recognize one thing here. Um, uh, I don't know if you could hear it a few minutes ago. Um, I I chose not to mute uh, while the train went by. I don't know if you could hear it. But uh, sort of of a uh, memorial to the fact that uh, chances are this will be the last episode that uh, we record with me here in the uh, Dover UCAP World Headquarters. Uh, I am on the move here, uh, leading my nomadic life like I do, and uh, uh, we're going to be gone. I'm going to be on the road next week, or next week and a half, so we're going to do an episode while I'm on the road, and then I'm going to be back for like four days. I'm not sure if we're going to do an episode. So this may be the last the last episode from uh, Dover World Headquarters, kind of this, you know, kind of sad. So, so you, you're saying that when you're not back on the road... <clears throat> You're not going to be back in Dover. You're going to be residing in some new undisclosed location. Well, no, we've disclosed it. I'm moving in with Jeb. <laughs> it's like I'm going to Florida. <laughs> Seriously? Well, yeah. yeah. For a month. For a month. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So, okay, uh, I'm going to cancel the milk carton art then. Yeah, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be a nomad. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to do the Dan Johnson thing and uh, and uh, get myself a motorhome and just like spend the next, uh, you know, couple. Of, no, I'm not doing that. I would like to do that, but we'll have one here shortly after you get here. Uh, yeah, really? Are we going to talk yeah. about this on the podcast? No, you're, um, is that just a teaser? And we'll give more information later. Yeah, I think we should give more information later. Okay. We don't want to yeah, count our yeah. chicken. All right, but everyone's heard of the magic bus, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> you know. So there we go. That's all. We'll come back to this later. Yeah, on. there's Anyways. a there's a Roger Daltrey a, beware. Yeah. I don't know if you're into Shelby Lynn, but she's got a good tune. It's called Jesus on a Greyhound. <laughs> okay, I'll have to look yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And she's right. talking the bus, not the dog. <laughs> talking about yeah not the not the dog yeah okay anyways i want to uh just kind of note that uh it's been fun to do the podcast here from uh from my little bow window uh overlooking uh, chestnut street in uh, in dover and uh, listening to the train go by and uh, there are parts of it i'm going to miss and parts of it i'm not going to miss at all <laughs> um but uh, i'm going to florida for a month and after that i don't know we'll figure it out but uh, uh of course the podcast will go on we're just going to have to find a new location for you and there's a really cute house around the corner from us for sale yeah well maybe that's yeah. going to be the solution i don't know hey maybe we can find find you something down here yeah and we have high speed in the neighborhood yeah finally yeah and uh um and I, one one thing i did not mention just kind of a reminder april 10 saturday 1300 hours Venice, Florida Airport, Great Southeast, UCAP Meetup 2.0. I will be there. I will definitely be there. Anyways, that's it. Time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, Dave Higdon is a uh, is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internets? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz, Avbuyer.com, EA.net. <laughs> Uh, uncontrolledairspace.com uh, and I need to be catching up on the forums area there uh, or just google my name and say well he doesn't play golf and he's not smart enough to be a theoretical physicist so those guys aren't him and Jeb Burnside is a, an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine Jeb where can people find you on the internet aviationsafetymagazine.com jeburnside.com uh, occasionally on AvWeb and occasionally on Aviation Consumer. Um, don't, Google, don't Google me because um, the, the thing with the goat, that's just a nasty rumor. <laughs> and I'm Jack he's, Hodgson. He, he's Googlish. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer, and soon to be a nomad. Uh, you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our terrific uh, weekly show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earle and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that you hear at the beginning of every episode. By the way, the one that we played last week was really cool. Uh, it was uh, a group disclaimer. Um, that we ac They actually recorded that at the Nashua uh, meetup that we held a couple oh, weeks really? ago. And uh, Jeff Ward was the ringleader on this. And after we had breakfast, before we went out onto the ramp, we stood outside the FBO building. And, and it was really, I have a video of this I'm going to post on YouTube. All right. Because what happened is this whole gang of people are standing there and, and, and uh, Jeff Ward is standing there sort of like a conductor. And he's actually prompting them. He would read uh, you know, sort of like the presidential oath of office. All right, Je Jeff would read a few sent a few words. All right, and they would repeat it. All right, and then he would read a few more words, and they would repeat it. All right, and then he edited it all together, took out his prompt, and uh, and turned it into a disclaimer. That was the uh, the Nashua you got meetup gang doing the disclaimer last week, and so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Hey, we're also very great. I don't know what that was. We're also very grateful for the financial support. We're very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't but forget... Doing what you can can help keep an errant podcaster off the street for one more day. <laughs> Although in my case, not so much. Uh, and don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Hey, Dave, were you going to say something? If you want to live long and healthy, go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. Uh, and, that, and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. 
it, right now it's 57 in Nashua. Uh, in Nashville, I, could, I didn't couldn't pull up Dover. It's 59 in Sarasota, uh, okay. so I, we finally did get you beat. The trend is going well. 